Hello there, I am Paul Church. I'm the director of the Anemo Group. We are a tech, data, and digital talent solution. And this is our podcast, Talent and Growth, where we discuss all things attraction and retention. Today, we're talking to Joe Taylor, who is the MD of Let's Talk Talent. And we're talking about how to retain your talent through career development. Really interesting interesting topic um, in this war for talent we're in. So I hope you enjoy it. Today, we are joined by uh, Joe Taylor, and we're discussing how to retain your people through career development. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. It's really lovely to be here. I'm excited to kind of get into the deep world of career development with you. Fantastic. Thank you very much for being here. So um, I think before we get into that deep world, what would be lovely is if we could just talk through a little bit about your background, your journey, and, and what you're doing now. Sure, no problem. So I would say I've had a really squiggly career, taking um, note of Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis's brilliant book. If some of you or listeners want to get it, it's a brilliant way of developing your career. But truly squiggly means ultimately, and for me, starting off in broadcasting in TV, working at the BBC, running a brand at Channel 4, to then be a global director of talent and uh, talent management at Talk Talk, so consumer um, businesses to set my business up six and a half years ago. And I think the thread that brings all of those weird and wonderful experiences together are two main things. One, that I'm inherently nosy about people. I kind of like to know what lies beneath the surface. Um, and so working in broadcasting, running a brand, you know, being in HR enables you to really understand people and, and like people. But also, I'm kind of fanatical about that everybody is talented and that everyone has talent. And I couldn't scratch that itch in a corporate world. So I set my own business up. And that's our kind of mantra is that basically everyone has potential. And our goal as a business, whether it's individual, team or organization, is to unlock that potential and ask the question, potential for what? Of which career progression um, and development are, are key levers ultimately. 100%. 100%. And of course, we're all talking about the war for talent right now. And, you know, often, often, you know, we, we're looking at that as attraction, but of course, retention is probably even more important. But before we go into that, what, what are you seeing out there in the war for talent? Well, I think that you've got um, the great resignation on one side, where people through COVID are making big decisions about their career. And they're saying, look, I don't want to work five days a week. I don't want to work in an office. I want more flexibility. I want to see my kids. I want to put them to bed. You know, I want to go and travel. So you're seeing a lot of people resigning from really good jobs to, to um, I suppose, find themselves and find something that, that brings them joy and that motivates and energizes them. And being at home for two years has enabled that, I suppose, that psychological contract with work to change fundamentally. And then you've got the great attraction where ultimately businesses are losing talents through the great resignation and they're finding it incredibly difficult to find people. So what they're then turning to is this approach of growing your own. So what we're seeing is that, you know, headhunters, recruitment agencies are not being able to fill roles. And so businesses are thinking, okay, well, how do we grow our own? What are the new skills? What are the new attributes? What is the new development that we need to put in place? So while there's an external factor, actually it's made businesses think internally about what's the deal? Now, how do we smarten that up? How do we really give flexibility, not just you know, whether you can work from home, 
it's really changed that psychological contract that we as individuals, therefore managers and organizations have with people. So I think it's, we can't go back. We won't go back. And whether you believe that um, the salary inflation and the, and the war for talent is going to continue, I think we've got another, at least another year of it before it sort of plateaus out. We've got to think smarter as leaders of businesses about not only getting great people, but keeping great people. And the emphasis really on keeping great people, because that's your next leaders. That's your next innovation. And if we always look outside, you're sending a message to your people that they're not good enough. So I think it's really at a, a massive tipping point. We can't go back. We're not sure where we find our place now. So what's the future going to hold? It's kind of all up for grabs, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, yeah, in terms of the things plateauing or, or you know, any kind of bubble bursting, that's not, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think, yeah, I think maybe a couple of years. But um, when we talk about, career development how has this definition and expectation changed over the last few years do you think well I think back to the start of my career and I think about that I could have had a brilliant career at the BBC I could have stayed there and when you think about career you talk about the steps don't you and steps ultimately make you think about upward movement that vertical movement and I, and I definitely see that in myself. I could have moved up and in 10 years, I would have been, you know, leading a bigger team, all of those types of elements. And I remember turning around to my parents and saying, actually, after seven years at the BBC, I want to leave and I want to have more of a portfolio career. And my dad, who's a, you know, an optician, has been an optician for 40 odd years, turned around to me and said, why would you do that? Why would you leave an organization where you can move and, you know, pivot and do all of those things? And I think that's what's changed in the 30 years that I've been working, that a job isn't for life. And it's much more about that squiggly horizontal movement. And it's much more about two main elements, how you gain experience, which might be more responsibility. It might be um, moving globally and um, taking on a project, taking on a bigger team. But it's also about exposure. So who do you know? The art of the network ultimately has has changed um, work fundamentally and, and careers. So I think it's about possibilities now rather than progression, which progression means vertical and possibilities, I think, means horizontal. And that experience and exposure enables us to really ask some very deep questions about what is the possibility of that person? What's the potential of that person? Where can they go rather than what role do you want? Um, when do you want to get it? Um, or we haven't got anything for you. It just sends a completely different um, conversation and, and, a, and, a, and a leveler, and, but it's much more nuanced. And I'm not sure that managers are necessarily ready to have those nuanced conversations because I think they, they're still, we're still working in a talent protectionist type of environment in organizations rather than a talent scout mentality where everybody is talent and everybody is moved around. Um, so I think that's, I think that's changed. I think the second thing that's changed is the ownership of your career sits with the individual. Most organizations really struggle that we deal with to move that, get, move that dial because the people don't know that transparency and clarity and so we're seeing with a lot of our clients that they're working on career paths, how they're linking to succession planning, 
um, how they're linking to competency frameworks. So I think that clarity, consistency, and transparency is another way um, of, of how career development um, has changed um, in the 30 years that um, I've been working. And company with the labour shortages as they are, you know, and as we said a minute ago, you know, the, the demand isn't going anywhere. Um, companies really, they've got to get on the, you know, they've got, they've got to crack on with this, haven't they? They've got to catch up with this mentality, haven't they? They have, but this is a generational thing. And, and you know, when a lot of the people that are at senior levels have got to their career in one way, it's very difficult to change a habit and change a mindset when people go, yeah, but I did it that way. Yeah, but that was 30, 40 years ago. Um, you know, a millennial or someone coming into the industry now, there are three C's that they look for. It was a Harvard Business Review article, and I think it was 2019, that talked about the three C's and looked at it from a generational perspective. And they said career was number one, why people um, stay or leave an organization. Two is the community. It's the people that you work with. Do you like them? Do you feel that you're part of a community? And the third was cause, purpose. And organizations that join those three C's together have a stronger uh, propensity for keeping talent um, because you're able to join the dots. But it also goes back to the fact that we only borrow the people that we work with. So I look at my team and I think I'm really, I'm incredibly lucky to have the people that work for me, but I'm borrowing them for the time that they choose to work for me. And my job is to help them develop and be the best that they can possibly be to then go off and set the world alight and do something and, and employ me in, you know, um, 10, 15 years. But I'm not sure organizations are thinking in that way. Yeah, I agree. And, and what do you think, um, where do you think if they do begin to think in that way, or actually maybe just to, I suppose, ignite that idea in the first place, whose responsibility is it in a business to place schemes and programs um, for employee development in this manner, do you think? I think that I think if you have a, you know, um, a people experience team, so whether you call them HR, people experience, employee experience, you know, whatever you want to call them, I think it has to start with HR, um, looking at data, and looking at succession, looking who's on your bench and leading the vanguard for that. But I think it's also the exec team responsibility. And I think it's also the organization's responsibility. So if you're looking, um, you know, I set these up at channel four, there has to be a burning platform. There has to be a question, you know, do you want to have more Bain can, you know, um, candidates come into your organization? You're going to look at how you create a, pathway um, for, for you know that protected characteristic do you know do you want to look at neurodiversity do you want to look at women do you want to look at social mobility I think it's about ultimately inclusiveness but I do think it starts with HR leading um, and spotting the trends and being really data driven um, I think there are a lot of HR teams that don't look at the data and what's it telling you from exit interviews to, um, you know, recruitment data to succession planning to workforce planning. I think your data can tell you a lot. And the technology on the market now in terms of AI, um, you know, the, the human capital um, programs like, you know, or, or pieces of software like, you know, Oracle, um, Workday, et cetera. I mean, there is no excuse 
Um, but I, but I think you have, I think HR have to lead it. And the best HR teams that we work with and I've ever worked with um, are ahead of the curve. They're not waiting for something to drop. They're not waiting for a complaint or they're spotting the trend. They're realizing that they don't have enough women at the top table and they're, and they're starting early. And that's where succession planning and careers ultimately interlink um, because you're starting to give people clarity of where they could go. You're being really forthright in how they get there. You're giving them a co- giving someone a coach or you're putting them on a course. You're really proactively taking responsibility for that change that you want to seek. Yeah, absolutely. And how if um, if a uh, if an internal mobility scheme is you know all singing, all dancing, and working in the way it should, what what does that look like? Well, I think it's where it's really clear and transparent. There's there's, there's the deal. So I talked about this with a client the other day. I said, what's the deal for the individual and what's the deal for the organization? What happens with internal mobility is that it's that all of the power sits with the organization. And actually, that's not right because the organization needs to promise and deliver what it says it's going to do, whether that is giving someone um, more mobility across a global organization or more responsibility. But what's the, what's the deal for the individual? you know, turning up, is that good enough? In my mind, not. What are they giving back? How are they repaying, paying it forward ultimately? So I think you've got to start with the deal for the individual and for the organization and be very clear about what that is so that people can make a decision whether it's what they want. Because let's face it, we've all got to a position sometimes where we feel there's a glass ceiling or that we can't go anywhere. And we've not thought laterally. That's where organizations need to be more creative about that. But sometimes people aren't ready. Some people don't want to move to the next level because they really love what they do. You know, highly regarded specialists want to be specialists they don't want to be generalists so we overload them with management and then we go and we castigate them because they're not good managers well if we'd let them and we paid them brilliantly as a as a as a specialist then they'd have the same value they'd feel valued but we don't we undervalue specialism and we overpromote generalism ultimately in terms of careers in, in, in my experience and what with um with an internal mobility scheme, who should who should own that? Is that HR? Is it talent acquisition? Where do you think that lies? I so when I was at the Talk Talk, we set our talent acquisition team an internal mobility target, um, and I, and that but that was very much linked to succession planning. So when we came out of the succession planning for the sort of CEO minus two roles, um, we would look at when there was another role at that level, we would expect the internal mobility we expect the talent acquisition team to think about internal before external so we did put a um i suppose a kicker in place for the talent acquisition team so so i think it can sit with talent acquisition but i think it ultimately sits with the chief um human you know chief people officer ultimately um and and the whole of hr and ultimately the leadership team because if you really believe that you want to grow your own, then HR can set the target and set the tone, but it's the business that's going to need it and that's and going to drive it. So if you don't have regular talent conversations as an exec team and you don't start really moving people, then, you know, it's a redundant target, isn't it? And that's what we did really well at TalkTalk. Talk. 
it was that every year there would be a conversation about the, the top 200 and there were legitimate moves and people were talked to. Um, but I think it's that whole piece I talked about. Do you want to have a protectionist, talent protectionist culture where an ex, a, a, a P&L will only look at their particular talent and will only look at it in that vertical sense? Or do you want to have a group mentality where you look at it as, as a talent scout and that that exec is really happy to share their talent with another exec. And I still think we're struggling um, with that as a concept overall. Yeah, big time. I think people are um, looking at their own yeah. P&Ls rather than thinking about what's best for the business. And I think, um, how did it, how how can you, I suppose in your experience or how you perceive it to ideally work, in terms of talent acquisition, if they are using the internal marketplaces, you know, headhunting and opportunities, how does that affect relationships with stakeholders? Um, have you seen it work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. it really worked at Talk Talk, and I think um, you know it's set from the top. Um, you know, I, I I don't think it's that difficult. I think we make it difficult by setting up metrics for talent acquisition to fill. You know, if you only incentivize people on bums on a seat, then you're going to get the same mentality aren't you if you bring talent acquisition in as part of you know I had my talent acquisition team sat within a talent function we had you know I had quarterly catch-ups with them you know the person who was my lead in terms of TA we'd have you know weekly catch-ups on what was going on with workforce planning they'd be part of the HRLT for some of the meetings they would own their lane in effect Mm -hmm. and they felt like they were part of a wider ecosystem of talent management than talent acquisition just point and click it's it's the relationship with the business partners i mean you know the ulrich model of whether you have centers of expertise or talent you know business partners i aligned my talent acquisition team to the business partners so that if jason for example in technology wanted um to be recruiting 20 new people he had someone in talent acquisition, who was working with him, he felt it was part of Jason's team for that time because it was a campaign. And that worked so much better than having it, you know, amorphous and, you know, all he got, you know, Jane on one day, Tom on another, you know, they became part of the solution. And also they were very clear that, you know, that, you know, you want 20, you know, software developers by, I don't know, say we say March, well, there aren't 20 software developers in March that we're going to be able to get you, but we're going to be able to get you five. And therefore, if you've built up that partnership and that relationship, that message is not as difficult than if you're so far removed and then I've got to come in and deliver it to Jason. He's going to go, well, he's going to ask me a hell of a lot of questions that I'm not going to know about. So I always wanted my team to be part of the bigger team um, because I think it made us better um, and it made us, in effect, customer-centric. Um, rather than, a, you know, we were an overhead to the business. The business has to believe that you're adding value um, beyond and the fact that you might be solving their problem at the end of the day. Yeah, makes sense. And do you, I mean, a lot of the data we see now, particularly in tech, I, I see um, in terms of 10 years, average 10 years are like less than two years now for people in businesses. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be a mentality that whether someone's happy or not, they feel like they probably just need to move on um, from places just to kind of progress. Do you think if companies get this right, um, the with internal career development that that that's going to be enough to keep people, you know, maybe not working for somewhere for twenty years, but you know, maybe doubling their tenure. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, as part one EVP that I wrote um, a number of years ago was that the big selling point of that business was that you could have five years experience in two. So we made a point that you could stay with us for two years, but that you would probably do three or four different roles. So I think it's what the deal is. You know, it goes back to, you know, people won't leave um, if they see they've got progression possibilities. If you don't show them clarity, you don't have good managers having regular conversations, you're not consistent in the way that you promote people. It's not, you know, it's not who shouts loud enough, all of those, you know, unwritten rules ultimately. And you provide transparency and opportunity by posting jobs internally rather than externally first, having great career conversations, you know, providing workshops like the career sprints that we've run for a number of clients. You know, all those things give you choice. And when you're if you don't have choice, you'll go and find that choice from someone else who's telling you the message. Whether it's better, sometimes the grass is greener, sometimes it isn't. But in a buyer's market at the moment, when money is the biggest driver because people have lost two years of career progression, you've got to fight harder to um, say why you should stay. And it's not enough just to um, promote somebody. They, someone wants to feel as if they're valued. And that's where motivation plays a big part, I think, in career progression and understanding someone's motivation, their drivers, their strengths, getting to really understand what is driving that need to progress is much more important than just hearing the words, I want to be X. Okay, so why do you want to be X? What is it that's, you know, that you feel is missing? How can I help you? What about doing it? All these nuanced conversations that I think is not happening because people don't have the time um, to do that, but it's, it's so needed. It's about having an open culture as well, isn't it? Because I think um, I think uh, there's still, I think really it's still embedded that if somebody is looking for a job, they want to keep it or look speaking to other other companies about a job elsewhere. They fit, they keep it secret. They feel a bit naughty. Companies companies feel hurt. You know, they feel, you know, like they've been, you know, let down. Yeah. Um, and I go, I'm always going on banging on about Netflix. Of Netflix, they um, they encourage uh, people to speak to recruiters to find out what, what the market rates of companies are paying and things like that. And, and then, they have, then they go and have those conversations with recruiters, even go and interview. And if it's a better job and they're paying more, leave all up your salary, we, we'll go and do it. And it's a very, very unique culture. But I think well, that's quite extreme. But it's still, I think that we need to get away from this, uh, this culture of businesses whereby people feel like they're doing something wrong from looking at outside of the company they're in. I think the way you put it as well about you're borrowing people, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, everyone's got their own, everyone's unique and everyone's got their own personal circumstances. What drives me won't drive you and won't drive people in my team. Mm. You know, I've got things I want to achieve and hence why I set the business up. But not everybody wants to, you know, want, wants to do that. Some people just want to have a job. You know, you, you know, there's there's a business that we've worked with, uh, um, a university where we've been working with a finance team, for example, and there's people there that have been there for 25 years. And, and you know, one of the people said, you know, if they're not happy, they should go. And I turned around and said, but they've got nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they're happy. They're happy. They, they, they've got, you know, they've got dependencies. They may be the breadwinner. We don't know what is lying behind, you know, a lot of the time, this COVID, you know, COVID, the, the saddest thing I think about COVID is that we've, while it has helped, you know, us think more about ourselves, 
this Zoom mentality has in a way put a, a mask. Mm. Whereas if I'd had that conversation with somebody face to face, they probably would never say that. Mm. So I really hope that there's some middle ground here that for things like career conversations, those deeper emotional, where you really want to understand, you know, I really, that has to be done face to face for me. And it has to be regular. Otherwise, all you're getting is surface. And you can't, you, well, you've, you will have read it, you know, that communication is, I think it's like 3% of what I say. It's more about my body language. It's kind of, you know, um, you know, the, the gestures, all um, and you lose that with this, with this, you know, um, culture of Zoom. And the problem is that it's there's been a lot of businesses that have had to let a lot of people go. Mm. And so people are some people who've got, you know, raising kids, they've got school fees to pay, they've got you know elderly parents. They just want to survive. And sometimes surviving for a couple of years is okay. You don't always have to be wanting to be the next CEO because they can't. You can't all be the CEO. So I think we've got to be a little bit calmer and really have the right conversations at the right time and make people feel as if they're connected to something deeper. And um, therefore, they'll stay. Fantastic. I think that's a. I think that's a great way to end. Actually, what's um? I think I'm sure people will want to pick your brain on things, uh, Joe. What's the best way for them to reach out to do so? So they can email me directly on Joe at letstalktalent.co.uk. Um, or they can go to our website, www.letstalktalents.co.uk. Fantastic. And listeners, thank you very much for listening today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it with one other person you think might benefit. And do give us a tag on LinkedIn and share it with the community on there as well. Joe, thanks so much for your time. I hope to have you back sometime. Love it. Thank you.